Let us pray. May the words of my lips and the meditation of all of our hearts be acceptable to you, O Lord, our rock and our redeemer. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Would you please be seated? One of the wonderful things about the prophets is how honest they are. What they say comforts us at times and most certainly confronts us at others and challenges us. There's no question about that. We've seen that, I'm sure, as we've walked through Micah this Lent. Reading the prophets is not always a pleasant experience. And perhaps that is why so many Christians neglect the reading of the prophets and scripture in general. The truth is often a very difficult thing to hear. I'm convinced that this is why so many people wish to believe that truth is a malleable thing or that it doesn't exist at all. Because if there is an ultimate truth, we can be sure at some point we will be challenged by it. We will be confronted with our own untruthfulness or our own delusions or our own lies. And of course, we would rather not deal with any of that. But the truth is, as Bishop Ryle said when he wrote, truth is truth, however long it may be neglected. Facts are facts, however long they may lie buried. The work of a prophet is to reveal and proclaim truth to the people. And that is what Micah has done faithfully. He speaks into a culture that believed it could not possibly fall, that that nothing could ultimately go wrong for them. Life was good. They had nice houses and full plates. They had wealth and comfort. And while those poor people on the other side of town, clearly they've done something to deserve their plight. And we are just fine. Thank you very much. What Micah has boldly preached is that the people's pursuit of what they believed would bring happiness has actually set them in opposition to the Lord. Their prideful, covetous hearts produced much sin while looking like much comfort. It is a challenging yet entirely honest assessment of the heart of the people and the status of their society. And so how is it that Micah closes this honest account? Well, really, it's the only way he could. By being honest about where the people are headed. Micah has already addressed at length the presence of sin within the people, and now he turns his attention to its inward and outward result. And he does so in order that he might show them a far better way. Micah chapter 7, then, is all about the despair of sin and the joy of the gospel. Now, to show us the despair that sin causes, Micah lays out both its internal and external effects. Verses 2 through 6, they lay out for us a, a rather bleak picture of Judean society at the time. The best and the brightest among them are using their gifts not to improve their country and serve the people, but, as verse 3 says, their hands are on what is evil. 
And they are very good at it. You see, rather than being the vineyard planted by the Lord that produces the godly fruit of love, joy, and peace, Judah has become a briar, a flower that is so covered in thorns that all it can do is leave the one who touches it bleeding. And so don't trust your neighbor, the prophet warns. Don't believe your friends. Don't even rely on family. For the son treats the father with contempt. The daughter rises up against her mother. A man's enemies are the men of his own house. It's a pretty bleak picture, isn't it? It's a picture of complete societal collapse. And now we sitting here today, we can hear the prophet's assessment and we wonder how could the people not see this coming? How could they not see the warning signs around them? How could their their leaders and the wealthy among us care so little about other people? How could they be so selfish? Well, I suppose if it were possible, I could travel back in time and ask the David Penny Legion of the late 90s and early 2000s these very same questions. I remember that time well. I'm sure many of you do as well. Tech booms, stock market booms, dreams of everyone everywhere owning their own homes and having not only the necessities of life, but all the pleasures that you could possibly desire. History was over, the scholars denounced. For the free market and the free people will march on in their freedom to a glorious utopia. I am barely exaggerating. Fast forward 20 years. And I see much more of what Micah was describing than what the leaders of the 90s and 2000s promised. I see rampant sin taking its toll on individuals and on our society as a whole while leaders embrace it like a warm hug. I see deaths of despair on the rise. I see every mental health indicator we have plummeting around us. Think I'm exaggerating? I will share just one heartbreaking statistic with you today. Just one, though I have an army of them, should you like them. If you want to know how a society is doing and where it is heading, check in with the kids. In Ontario the number of teenage girls who have ended up in the emergency room due to self-harm has increased 138% since 2010. It's not just the girls. That number is up 75% for teenage boys, just in Ontario. Our teenagers are so broken and so filled with despair that they are harming themselves at rates never seen before. And those statistics only count those who sought treatment. And so we can be assured that the number is higher. Now I hear statistics like that, and as I stated, that is just one of many. And I can feel a lot like Micah. Woe is me, he says. 
For I have become as when the summer fruit has been gathered, as when the grapes have been gleaned. There is no cluster to eat, no first ripe fig that my soul desires. The prophet is wrung out. He has nothing left to give. It's how many people feel these days, isn't it? It's how many Christians feel, I know, as we watch our society racing into sin because she has forgotten her God. I can easily despair of the future as it is easy to be convinced that there is no way forward. And that is exactly how I can feel when I see and hear the despair that so many, young and old alike, are locked in. And that, my friends, is exactly where sin wants to keep us. As if the sin itself was not bad enough, the ongoing individual and corporate level sin, it can lock us in despair, and there is no one who is happier when we are in despair than our adversary, the devil. Because despair is hopelessness. Despair is being so trapped in darkness that forget about seeing the light, you can't even believe that light exists anywhere. Micah here is being honest about the effects of sin on an individual and a societal level. It breaks everything and it leaves everyone in despair. It can be hard to want to move forward after that, can't it? But to make life worth living, there must be something else, right? Despair can't be the only thing that there is. It might feel like it that, that, that way sometimes, but there has to be something else to make life worth living, to, to have a reason for us being here. There has to be something other than despair, and thanks be to God, there most certainly is. You see, Micah gives an honest assessment of the people's sin, not so that he can throw up his hands and say, just live in your despair. That was not at all his goal. And we know this because after six more hard verses in what is a very hard book, we have a contrast word that feels like manna from heaven. But, verse 7 starts, but, As for me, I will look to the Lord. I will wait for the God of my salvation. My God will hear me. Do you hear the assurance there? Do you hear the confidence that Micah has? Not my God might hear me if everything breaks the right way. Not my God might save me one day down the road. No. God will hear me. God is the God of salvation. Instead of despair then, Micah clings to hope. Yes, the world might be completely broken and filled with darkness, but God, he says. Now, I know some of you are probably sick to death of hearing me harp on about those two words, but God. But I cling to those words as if they were life itself, because they are. There is sin and despair all around us, but God. 
I can at times believe that there is no hope and no way forward but God. It is the only help we have. Despair runs rampant. We see it in that statistic I quoted, but God. But how do we get there? How do we get to the place that Micah was where he can be honest about the sin in his culture and the sin in the people? How can we get to where he was where he can feel the despair, but rather than remain in it, look to the Lord? How do we get there? How do we move from the despair of sin to the joy of the gospel? Well, verses 8 and 9 give us the way forward. Rejoice not over me, O my enemy. When I fall, I shall rise. When I sit in darkness, the Lord will be a light to me. I will bear the indignation of the Lord because I have sinned against him until he pleads my cause and executes judgment for me. He will bring me out to the light. I shall look upon his vindication. Now, there's a couple things this verse makes clear. First, I'm sure you have no need for me to tell you this, but I will anyways. Life is not perfect. You are not perfect. I'm close. <laughs> I get to wear the robe and all that, so. Pardon me while I dodge a lightning bolt that is prepared to. <laughs> You're not perfect, friends. Our culture is not perfect. When I fall, Micah says. When, not if. I will bear the indignation of the Lord because I have sinned against him. Hear those words, friend. Hear them well because they are a gift. You see, an honest assessment of ourselves tells us that we are fallen, that we are not perfect. We've been fallen from the moment of our conception. There is no way around our sin. But in grasping that, it means we are freed from the false gospel of self-salvation. We are freed from the false gospel of self-esteem and self-actualization. We're freed from needing to find the real me. From needing to find the hero that lies deep within me. It is good news. These statements are good news because of what they are coupled with. When I fall, I shall rise, he says. When I sit in darkness, meaning when I am in sin and despair, the Lord will be a light to me. The Lord will be a light, he says. Not when things are perfect. Not when Micah has at last discovered his true self. But when he is in darkness. When he is in sin. While he was yet a sinner, Christ died for him. While you were yet a sinner, Christ died for you. It is true of all of us. And we can actually go on from here. He has more to say to us. Micah tells us that he will bear the result of his sin because he has sinned. He's acknowledging his sin, but then he continues. Until the Lord pleads my cause and executes judgment for me. Now in the immediate term, Micah has his mind set on the conquering of Judah's enemies. But since we here claim the faith of Christ, we need to read these verses through Christian eyes. And friends, they get better when you do it. 
Because on the cross, the Lord executed judgment as the Son bore the weight of our sin upon himself. The result of that, well, guess what? Micah actually tells us. Centuries before the event occurred, Micah tells us what happens when the Lord acts for us. Verse 19. He will have compassion on us. He will tread our iniquities underfoot. You will cast, you meaning the Lord here, not you, but the Lord, you will cast all our sins in the depths of the sea. That is what Jesus has done for you. That is what Jesus does with your sin. That sin that wants to keep you locked in despair, he has taken it. He has taken it and he has dropped it to the bottom of the ocean where you can't reach it and it can't reach you. Despair would have us try to go back and pick it up and try to bear it ourselves. And I get that impulse, friends. I really do. I get that that weird desire that we have within us to cling to old sin. I had a moment not long ago where a a past sin just kept coming up. I could not shake it. I couldn't believe, I couldn't accept that Jesus had paid the price even for that sin and had forgiven me. The other ones, sure, but not this one. And I needed a father in the faith to speak those loving words to me that I had been forgiven. That Jesus had took even that sin. It was a sin that brought despair to my heart and tears to my eyes whenever I thought about it. But since I heard those words from this mentor of mine, Pointing me not to my sin, but to the goodness of Jesus. Now when I think of that sin, my eyes are, yes, still filled with tears, but they are filled with tears that the Lord would do that even for me. Even that sin. It's no longer a burden for me to bear. My friends, your sin is no longer a burden for you to bear. If you are in Jesus, your sins are no longer for you to bear, so stop trying to pick them up. And know that when you feel that despair, when that sin keeps coming up and it tries to grab hold of you and keep you in darkness and despair. Know what Micah tells us, that the Lord pleads your cause. You see, it turns out, friends, sorry, spoiler alert for next week, Jesus is risen. I just blew Easter, I'm sure, right? Jesus is risen. He is alive, actually alive. It's not a myth. It's not a lie. It is the truth. And because he is alive and because he has ascended to the Father, that means that he is at the right hand of the Father. And what is he doing there? Glad you asked. Paul tells us in Romans 8. He writes, who is to condemn? Christ Jesus is the one who died. More than that, who was raised, who is at the right hand of God, who indeed is interceding for us. That is what Jesus is doing for you. 
He is interceding on your behalf. He is praying for you even as I speak. He is pleading your cause before the Father, just as Micah says. He speaks to the Father about you. So that when you sin, the Father, yes, He'll see it, but He sees it through the lens of His Son. He sees that Jesus paid for your sin and so that you are forgiven. Yes, even that sin you think is unforgivable. I told you earlier the shocking truth. You're not perfect. Here's another shocking truth. You're not God. So you don't get to say what is and what isn't forgivable. He says you're forgiven. I believe him more than I believe you, friends. Sorry. I believe him more than the despair that says, I'm not forgiven, you're forgiven. Everything changes when instead of looking to ourselves and being locked in despair, we cast our eyes upon Jesus and see the God of our salvation. Micah makes it clear that there will be hard days. He if you've read the book, if you've been here week by week, you know he doesn't sugarcoat things. He makes it clear that we are in a period of waiting to see God's final reckoning come about. And so the, there will be hard days. There will be days when people mock the faith. There will be days when, when even we will actually seek out despair instead of Jesus. And days when we will feel like we're no closer to God's promise coming true than Micah himself was. But it's simply not the case. It is not true. Verse 14 is Micah's prayer to the Lord that he would shepherd his people again. And it's a prayer that he prays in confidence. Because as the Lord answers him in verse 15, he tells him that he would act again like he had for Israel when he brought them out of Egypt. He will show them marvelous things, he says. Friends, we are the ones who live in the days of those marvelous things because we have seen Jesus. Jesus is the most marvelous thing the Father could ever do for you. And he does it simply because of who he is. When you feel far off from him, when you feel the weight of sin upon yourself as if you've convinced yourself that you somehow are able to bear it. When you despair and it seems like darkness is the only way forward, remember these words. Who is a God like you? Pardoning iniquity and passing over transgression for the remnant of his inheritance. He does not retain his anger forever because he delights in steadfast love. The love of God is more real than the despair you feel. I get it. We, we live in a culture that wants to elevate feeling to the level of divine revelation, but it's not true. God's love for you, God's faithfulness, it is more real than anything you can feel. It is more real than the despair that tries to capture us. The final words of Micah to a wayward, sinful, and now despairing people are that God is faithful. 
He delights in loving his people. It is no burden for God to love you. He bore the burden of your sin and died for you because he loves you. It is not a burden for him to love you. He delights in it. He takes absolute joy in loving you. You want hope rather than despair? I know I do. You want light rather than darkness? Trust not in the things of this world and the false promises she offers, but rather with Micah, look to Jesus. Seek the risen Lord and cry out to him, for he will hear you. And he delights in loving you. In the name of the Father, and of the Son, and of the Holy Spirit. Amen. Amen.